The first house we bought was in Deer Park, Texas. We've been married a few years. We bought this house, just us, no kids, three bedroom, two bath, unnecessary. As well as that, I thought we needed to HGTV it immediately. Like there was a rush to it. Like let's tear out everything. And, and, and I grew up with a, a dad who loves to build, who's really good with his hands. I got to see him fix everything in the house, in vehicles. I got to move this stand. Uh, I, I just saw him growing up with that. And so you know, when I get doing a, a, a do-it-yourself project at my house, uh, I can at times get to a point where I'm like, I'm stuck. I ran out of skills. I need someone else with those skills. And growing up, it's always my dad being a first-time owner. Uh, uh, I started tearing stuff out. He came over. He's like, all right, we have a plan. I said, yeah, we have a plan. We're going to tear up 800 square foot of all this flooring, and we're going to put in 800 square foot of new flooring. And he said, my knees hurt thinking about it. And I said, we're going to do it. It's going to be okay. And we did that. And then while we're doing that, when it's demo day, it's hard, it's hard to relegate yourself to one room. Am I right? You know what I'm talking about? It's like when it's demo day, it's like there's other things that could be torn out. This is also not great. I don't like these cabinets. And what about this wall? Is this wall necessary? I have a sledgehammer in my hands. Like, let's just tear stuff out. Uh, but when my dad wasn't there, I, I have a friend in this church I've known for years, and, and uh, his name's Dan Tickle. And, and one time I needed some help with a, a pipe, and just our, our plumbing was backed up. I couldn't figure it out. I'd done all my skills, ran out of them, and I said, hey, I need some help. And he came over, and, and it's pouring rain. This is Houston, so sometimes when it rains, it just rains. It's pouring rain, but we need to fix this. He's in, and so there's like this kind of little sinkhole in the backyard. I'm like, hey, that's it. And he's like, yeah, that's it. It's got to be the spot where it's leaking or something here. And so we just start digging in the mud, and it's raining. It's getting muddier. Uh, and we get to the pipe, and that's not the pipe. That's not the spot. Uh, we were a good 20 feet away from the spot. It was back by the house, which when we got to that spot, because we ran out of our skills, so we had to ask someone that had a skill of owning a snake with a camera, right? That's the skill. You own that. Uh, but we found out there's just this little pipe right outside, and someone looks like cracked it with a shovel one time, and then they broke some other PVC and just laid it on top. And it's like, that'll work. Uh, but all the roots had grown in, right? Grown in, and I remember we finally found it. We grab it by the, we find that hole, we grab it by the roots, and we just pull and pull and pull like 15 yards of roots out of my, out of our plumbing. Like, what is happening? Now, when I do stuff in my house, now I still do that. There's a hole in between one of my son's room and the kid's bathroom right now. Why? Because I ran out of skills. I just, I stopped. I tore out, did all the demo. I know it is, but I don't work with cast iron. I'm done. Like, that's it. I'm stuck. I need my dad. I need dad to come around. Like, come help me. What I love about this, even when I'm thinking about my dad and the things that he's helped, his, like, fingerprints are kind of all over our house. And we've only been at our house for about eight years. And there's pieces of my house that I can look around and be like, yeah, why do I have a tree house? Me and my dad built it. 
Why do we have a zip line? Me and my dad built it. Well, why are these 70 things fixed in my house? Because <laughs> me and my dad did it. And what we're going to see this morning is that this life, following Jesus and growing in Jesus as a people together, is a never-ending project, but it's not a do-it-yourself project. You are not alone. You are not doing this by yourself. So look at it with me. We're going to Ephesians 5. Back up to verse 6 because I want to see a little of this context. Ephesians 5, verse 6. Lord, show us wondrous things from your word. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the sons of disobedience, or the disobedient, because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners, for you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness. So verse 7, he says, do not become partners with the sons of disobedience. Now, this word partners is the same word that he uses for fellowship, for koinonia, for this intimate partnership, fellowship, intimately sharing our lives. So what he's saying is, his primary concern is, is that believers should not participate in the immoral activities of the sons of disobedience. That we shouldn't partake, we shouldn't fellowship with these activities. We shouldn't uh, 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 come in close, we shouldn't share intimately in these things. Why? Why? He comes back to our identity. Why? You were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Why? Why shouldn't you partner up? Why wouldn't you uh, uh, indulge in these things? Why shouldn't you just uh, go with the crowd and drift in whatever else is doing? Because that's not you anymore. You were dark. Not, not you walked in darkness. He makes it very clear. You were darkness. But now you're light in the Lord. When he says darkness, you can go back to chapter 2, verse 1, when he says we're dead in our sins and transgressions. 2.12, you are hopeless and godless. That's what it means. You were darkness. Darkness in the Bible is a way of describing the pervasive impact of evil. Darkness and sin are the characteristic and defining condition of humanity, but it's also, in the Bible, the sphere in which the unredeemed live. Live in darkness, under the influence of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And in this sphere, in this kingdom of darkness, de the, the devil and demons hold sway. Paul will refer to them later in 6.12 as the cosmic powers of darkness. But you were darkness. Now you're light in the Lord. He says it differently in Colossians 1. He says it this way in Colossians 1.13. The Father has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him, 
we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, so Paul's logic is this, like he's been going uh, all the way in the past the chapter. You were darkness, but now you're light, so walk as children of the light. He's continuing where he left off last week. You're loved. You're, lo- you're dearly loved children. Verse 1 of chapter 5. You're loved. That's who you are. That's your identity. A dearly loved child of the Father. You're loved. Don't settle for lust. Now this week, he's saying, you're light. That's who you are. You're light. This is your very identity. You are children of the light. So don't settle for darkness. Walk as children of the light. Our growth in the Lord is to live out more and more fully who we truly are. That we are light and we live out that identity of light and we order our life and our conduct to match with that identity. Our growth can be frustrating because it is a never-ending project, right? But it's not a do-it-yourself project. We sing it. He who began his good work in me will complete it. He is willing and working in us, guiding us, sustaining us, leading us, convicting us, taking us to what is good and right and true. Contrasted to the domain of darkness is the domain, the kingdom of the beloved Son, And that sphere is light, marked by what is good and right and true. Why? Because God is light. This is how John relays the message from Jesus. In 1 John 1, 5, he says, This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you what? God is light and there's absolutely no darkness in him. God can be described this way because of the utter absence of, of evil in who he is and in what he does. There's no presence of evil, no darkness, no deceit in God, no evil intent ever. He's light. We sing a song. We have a catechism on God's goodness. Is God good? Yes. No one is truly good except God. We sing a song, only God always does what is good and right and what is perfect. And Paul's logic is, look at God, look what he's done for you, then imitate him. He's a loving father, imitate him and love. He is the light, walk as children of the light. Loving and choosing and doing what is good and right, and true. That's what he means by goodness, righteousness, and truth. But that's what we do. Now, when he says testing what is pleasing to the Lord, I'm going to give you a little side note because this is where new and old Christians alike stumble, trip up, get kind of confused a bit about what does it mean to please the Lord? Don't we please the Lord? Do we need to pursue the Lord because we're already Pleasing to Lord, what, what, how does this dynamic work out? Well, the thing is, 
is that when you're declared righteous by the Father, that you come into his courtroom and he sees all of your crimes, all of your sin, all of your rebellion, all of your actions that other people see, all your words that other people have, and all the evil intent inside of you. Sees you as guilty, but because of the plaintiff Jesus, he says, oh, oh, because of the advocate Jesus, oh, 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 you're declared righteous, not guilty, righteous. But then it, where we get tripped up is we stay there. That's not our only relationship, our only relational dynamic with the Father. It quickly moves out of the courtroom and into the living room where he says, not only are you declared righteous, you're also my children. You're my family. I've pulled you. I'm your father. And so in Jesus, positionally, you stand before the Father, pleasing in his sight, but you're, because you're clothed in the righteous robes of Jesus. That's how the Father sees you. You positionally stand before the Father, pleasing in his sight. But practically, we are to walk in a way pleasing to the Father. Meaning, these are connected and they flow from one to the other. Because I am positionally pleasing to the Father, I can, by the power of the Spirit, work to live pleasing to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, this is, this is the intent, this is Paul's. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim, our goal, our desire, our mission to be pleasing to God. Why? Because I am in Jesus, I'm going to work at it practically so that I please him, so that my life is, is Romans 12, 1, that it's a living sacrifice, it's a, it's a burnt sacrifice. Uh, offering it's a sweet aroma to the lord to his nostrils that he sees my life and my conduct and my my relationships and it is pleasing to him and then testing to consider testing what he's saying is is like he says in romans 12 2 he's talking about testing and approving what is pleasing to the lord uh, but this is practical wisdom Meaning, we're to discern what is pleasing to the Lord in every facet of our lives. That we're to discern what is good and right and true in everyday life. That we're actually to think about this and consider and, and, and work this out into every relationship and sphere of our life. Like in this relationship, what would be good, right, and true? In this role that I have, what would be good and right and true? In this family, in my family, in this church family, what is good and right and true? I'm to, dis I'm to test this, I'm to think about this, I'm to discern. Because they are coming, the Ephesians are coming out, as a reminder, just darkness. They have to rework. They have to rework their whole lives. And so are we. To rework our whole lives around the gospel where it bleeds out and gets into every part of our lives. And we're thinking and discerning what, is, what does it look like in this place to, to do what is good and right and true because I want to please the Lord. 
Last week we got practical on employing some strategies of like what would be to, to, take a, to take Jesus serious in the urgency and the intensity when he says, hey, uh, if something is causing you to stumble, if something is causing you, okay, so turn from that, but then let's turn to what is good and right and true. That, that means choosing to spend time with different friends, putting filter on your software and all your screens, set up real accountability with someone you trust, make the lifestyle changes that get you out of the path where you've been, where you've gotten yourself into trouble, to reorient your life around what is good, right, true. Why? <laughs> because he's pleased with me, I want to keep pleasing him. Because he's my dad. David Pallison says this. He says something helpful for him was someone told him to think of your, your soul as a room. That, that when you're in sin, that room is full of dark forces, dark people, and darkness. He says there's two ways to get rid of darkness in your soul. One way is to cast it out, to fight it, to resist it, and reject it. And the other way is to fill the room with light. As your life fills with better people, better things to do, more reasons to live in a light, then there's less room for darkness. So what he's saying is look on, feast on, look at what is good and right and true. No longer fruitless works of darkness because your heart isn't dark anymore. A heart of love pumps love and a heart of light pumps light. So our, our actions, our words, everything needs to, to match up, to be realigned, to be worked out so that it matches with who we are at our core. Light in the Lord. Light that shines bright and light that pushes back darkness in our hearts and others. That's verse 11. Look at verse 11. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So don't participate in these works of darkness. Rather, expose them. This, again, is communal. Let me remind us of the communal responsibility that Paul is speaking of in this whole letter. That it's our communal responsibility to not participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but also to help our brothers and sisters who continue to engage in these behaviors by exposing the sin so that they may be ultimately helped and restored by the risen Savior. To expose so that we can help and restore, so that we can put off that and put on Jesus, so that we can turn from, from what is evil, wrong, and terrible and turn to what is good and right and true 
some, though, may be objecting because maybe you've heard this verse with like an evangelistic bent. That's how it can be read, that we are to expose the dark deeds of non-Christians. But I'm convinced by com commentators like Clint Arnold and Tony Marita that, that Paul is speaking to the community. He's speaking to the family about the family. I'll tell you why. Because the overall flow of this context is a moral exhortation to believers on how to live as a family. Not only that, the word he uses <clears throat> for uh, uh, expose is also the, the imperative that he uses in other places. 1 Timothy 5.20, 2 Timothy 4.2, Titus 1.9. He uses it there to rebuke, to confront, to address the sinning members in the community, not outside. And then lastly, it just it makes the best sense of verses 12 through 14. That, that this is about, hey, we're to expose, we're, we're to not do dark deeds in darkness or in secret and if we are we need our brothers and sisters to come alongside and to help us and to shine light where there's darkness so the darkness runs from our hearts and that we can live pleasing to the lord paul says it like this in romans 13 13 let us walk with decency as in the daytime not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The shameful things in secret need to be uncovered so that they can be covered by Jesus' blood and restoration and reconciliation can work out with us. Even those things in secret, even those things in secret by yourself. Christians tell me that their secret sin doesn't affect anyone. It always does. It always bleeds into your relationship. It always bleeds into your community. It always bleeds into the whole church. Why I wanted to point out this argument that this isn't evangelistic bent. It's not because I don't want you to be evangelistic, right? Our third trait is bold evangelism, of course. But I'm not going to skew the text to fit our agenda. I want to follow what the text says. And I think this is the best meaning of the text, that it is our responsibility to help fellow brothers and sisters deal with the dark and sinful tendencies in their lives. Exposing these dark practices is the first step in helping fellow members of the community to grow up, to, to grow up in maturity in Christ. So the, the porn, the fits of rage, the sexual immorality, the gossiping, the drunkenness, the bitterness, the unforgiveness, the shaming, the self-demeaning language, uh, the, 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 
the self-righteous judgment and the demeaning language, the greed, needs to be exposed. We can be like some of the churches we grew up in and hide all our sin and shove it down and act as if everything is good or we can be humble enough to open up our hearts and our lives and say, I'm not perfect. I'm still wrestling with something. I need someone to shine light on this and to help me with this because I'm in a rut and I can't get out by myself. Help me. So we're going to expose these things. Now, expose comes with connotations of shame. That's not what he's saying at all. He's not saying, walk around and say, shame on you, Taylor. Shame on you, Jackson. Shame on you, Aaron. No, it's not, not exposing as in, ha, got you. Exposing as in, hey, you need help. Let's grow. Let's get done with this. Let's walk away from this. Let's untangle your affections and your heart and your actions away from that darkness. And let's keep going with the light because you are light in the Lord. Like, let's do this together. That's what it means. So then the other side, it also means confess it, bring it to the light. But on the exposing, if you have any sense of like this is shameful, let, let Paul, let the Bible interpret the Bible. Okay? Paul says in Galatians 6, 1, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourself so that you also won't be tempted. That, that shows us how we're to engage in this. Not shame on you, but gently, uh, I'm coming knowing that I'm a sinner, desperate need of God's grace every day. And so I'm going to come at you, not self-righteously above, superior, looking down, talking down. I'm going to come alongside you and say, hey, this has got to give. This has got to change. This needs to stop. I've got to turn from this. It's the gem analogy again. We're not at the same place. Some of us became Christians two weeks ago. Some of us 40 years ago. But we're all at the gym trying to grow, right? But we're trying to, to pursue Jesus and become more like him. And so we, we don't need to mock anyone that is new. We don't need to mock anyone that doesn't know the lingo. We don't need to mock anyone to look down on anyone that they're getting torn apart they're overtaking and wrongdoing that means that they are in desperate need for help it's Paul saying love and light means i'm going to move towards that other person expose this to help them it also means that we have to be open to that. We have to be humble enough to be there. Because humility confesses, I need Jesus and I need others. I need others to help me with the darkness I'm living in. I need others to come alongside me in this darkness that I'm entrapped by. It's not 
It's a never-ending project, but it's not a do-it-yourself project. We're in this together, and so is Jesus. Look at that last part again. Get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's believed to be an early church hymn. It's a call to repent, to wake up, to expose the dark deeds, to turn from them, and, and be encouraged because Christ is shining on you. This should conjure up images of the Exodus when the, the, the cloud is leading them by day and by now, his, by night. His powering presence, his empowering presence is with you, shining on you, directing you, encouraging you, sustaining you, helping you on your journey of discipleship. You are not by yourself. You're not at that point in the project where, where you can't do it. You may be at that point. Yes, that's a great place to be because why? Jesus is always with you to help you on this project, to help you with your heart, to help you to live uh, as light, to match up with that. I am light. He's with you. You have to wait until he comes back into town. He's with you. Giving you his presence where we saw the Holy Spirit is grieved by our sin, but he also is willing and powerfully enables us to turn from our sin, to pursue what is good and right. He's saying, go this way, go this way, go this way. So what Paul's saying is wake up, get up, get out of the, the stupor of darkness, walk out of the dark cave, see Christ shine on you and follow him. Go where he's taking you. You're light in the Lord, so wake up. You're light in the Lord, so walk out of the darkness. You're light, so turn from these. Put it off and put on. I just think of it this way. The lover of your soul is working on you with you. The lover of your soul, Jesus, is with you, working on you, with you. You don't have to do this yourself. Because if our souls are like a room, his fingerprints are all over it. Since he gave you a new heart, he's been touching. Before he gave you, he's been guiding. He's got his hands, his fingerprints all over you. Why? Because even when you thought you were by yourself, struggling with that thing by yourself, he's been with you, working with you on your heart, on your life, wooing you to imitate him and to walk in love and to walk as light. That's what he's doing. Everywhere his fingerprints are. You can think about your life and even look back, kind of like a home. Kind of like I can think about my home and think about where my dad's fingerprints, where, where there's a lingering legacy of my dad's work at my home. But I also look back in life and think about the lingering legacy and the work <laughs> and the renovation and the change and the <laughs> demolition that the Father's done in my life. And I say thank you. Shine on us. Shine on us. Keep changing us. Keep growing us. 
He planted us to, to walk out of the darkness, to help one another to walk out of the darkness and walk as children of the light. Let's pray. Father, I pray for that. Would you do it? I pray that, that you would speak those words to us, to those that are sleepy, to those that are asleep, to those that are in darkness, entrapped, ensnared. Spirit, would you yell at them? Would you get their attention? Would you tell them, wake up, get up, rise up, turn, walk out of this? And would you remind them again, remind us again of who we are in you? Dearly, dearly loved children, light in the Lord. Thank you for your fingerprints. Thank you for your work in us, and we ask for more. We ask for now, Lord, that you would expose, you would lead, you would convict, because you're kind and good, because you always do what is good and right and perfect. In Christ's name, amen.